everything was about everybody else. Everything was just about understanding everybody, being whatever anybody needed me to be. That kind of led me to be a therapist and never rock the boat, never stand out, never take any risk, never risk getting rejected. So that that was that's where I lived. And that served me well, even as a therapist, because it was my full identity. So me not being myself or authentic, I didn't even have access to it. And that worked for a while. A few years ago, like five years ago, I think I had a really major shift. Welcome to Therapist Expanded, where we start a mental health revolution by living our dreams fully and freely beyond industry conditioning and taking every client with us because we'll only take them as far as we've gone. So join me, your host, Erin Gibb, and my trailblazing guests and be revolutionary by expanding your mind and your life to your freest and fullest potential. Hello, mental health revolutionaries. Welcome or welcome back to the podcast. Today I'm interviewing Alifia Teki, and Alifia tells us about her stance on the importance of being real in the therapy room. And I feel like this podcast has been a gift. And I was reflecting on it even more deeply afterwards. And it's inspired me to say that during this podcast episode, I was having allergies big time. And it was only after the podcast that I realized I didn't even mention it. So the realness I'm adding in now was these allergies. It felt important to add them in, just like some of what Alifia will talk about here in our conversation about the realness with clients. So this may not make any sense right now, but by the end of it, hopefully it will. Well, I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I enjoyed making it. And at the end in the show notes, you will find links to learn more about Alifia. You will also find links for anything I'm offering. So without further ado, here is my interview with Alifia Teki. Okay, so we're here today with Alifia. And Alifia, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's such a pleasure to be here and meet you. Ditto. Okay, so how about we start with the question we always start with, which is, Tell us about yourself, your work, and your passions in the field. Well, I am a therapist here in Mobile, Alabama, primarily doing couples therapy. I'm originally from New York, so it's been a huge <laughs> leap for me to come work here. Um, but historically, I was working in psychiatric care with severe mentally ill patients. And then I made kind of a shift to doing private practice and mostly couples I've always, always been passionate about connecting with people and just connecting really at the heart of people. Like, you know, what are your dreams? Where's your soul? What's, you know, I've never been like a, let's do small talk. That's, <laughs> I've always been passionate about that. And that's kind of evolved in different ways through my practice. You know, now it's more like connecting people with each other in the couple's work, which I just love like kind of getting two people to see what's blocking each other and getting them to really connect on that raw, most more vulnerable part with each other. Mm. And now with this kind of self of therapist work, it's kind of deep into, can I help therapists connect deeply with themselves 
and then step into session in a more authentic way, which kind of helps the whole process all together. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know you. This is our first time meeting, but I'm just <laughs> sitting here like, yes, 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 absolutely. <laughs> the the real, my business partner and I joke that like, we are not made for small talk. Like we go <laughs> over, we're like, hey, can we get to the, the real stuff? And right. I, I sort of hear that in, in what you're doing couples as well, because from my experience working with couples, there's a lot of surface stuff that is the symptoms that like you didn't yes. take the milk, you left that thing exactly. there. When that's not at all what it's about. That's like talking it's about- It's never about that. Yeah. Right, right. And it's yeah. usually always about the same, right? I mean, we might be fighting about the dishes or we might be fighting about, you know, didn't take the trash out, but it's always, the underneath stuff is just always there. Do you see me? Do you care about me? Yeah. You know? And I'm important to you. Do I matter? Yeah. Sorry to cut you off completely. Yeah. The underneath. And when you were talking about the self of therapist, yeah, that's, I've spoken to so many therapists over the years and it's like, they're having issues in their practice or in these different things. And it's like, actually most roads lead back to the core stuff that's going on for them. How is it manifesting? These are symptoms, but what's really going on? So I love that. I'd love to, at some point, whether it's now or as we go on, hear about how you define your work with therapists. Well, the self of therapist to me is really understanding that you are the biggest asset and you yourself are the biggest tool in the room. You know, we know from studies that the best number one um, outcome determination is the relationship between the therapist and client. Like forget about technique, forget about modality, whatever. So how do we utilize that? And it actually goes into a lot of what you talk about of undoing our conditioning, right? Of this like being blank slates and like not ever self-disclosing, keeping ourselves at a distance where we're going to get in the way. And it's, it's the complete opposite. It's can we be transparent and can we really attune to ourselves? Can we attune to what our own needs are? Because if we can't do that for ourselves, it's going to show up in the room. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I've found that in my work, therapists are really good at that to a point. And then it becomes about, well, but what I do might not please someone. They yes. might not like it. I might have to say no. And it's all like, yes, I'm I can do it all the way up until it actually feels as if it's going to impact someone. And then it's like, I can't do it. Now I can't be myself because, mm. but it is always a fantasy because I read a something the other day on Instagram, I think, where it talked about this, what you were saying that our clients don't need us to project perfection. They actually need a human being. They need to yes. see our humanness and that yes. they're not alone in this struggle. A hundred percent. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I love the stuff you're saying and, and two things I'm kind of picking out. The first is like, oh, we can go, they go to a certain point and then there's this fear that comes out and, and that really resonates with me. I, I've seen that, right? It's just like taking that extra leap feels a little scary. Oh, yeah. And I, to me, that's that point where maybe you haven't gone that deep yourself for you. And so that's the point where you you're growing for yourself and your 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 clients growing in that room together. And yeah, that is scary. And yeah. I can see how people stop right at that point. Yeah. 
it's very self-preservational in that moment, but I totally, when I think of mental health revolution, it's about we lead the way by us living fully and freely moves our clients so far so fast. But yeah, so I think we're speaking the same language right there about that fear that comes up for us therapists. And I know I thought I had worked through this. If I need to face it, it keeps arising. And I hear the stories I tell myself of like how, oh, I have to break the news or this is going to impact my clients or other therapists I'm working with. It's like, oh, there's that thing again where I need to be liked. I need to please. It's going to me being me fully harms others. It's not real. and Well, it's real, but it's not true. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I can resonate with that as well. And there are so many moments where like, oh, I tackled it. I did it. And then it kind of shows up again. And, and it does show up in a way of like, you think you're making this choice of like, oh, I have to do this for me, but then this might hurt them. How am I going to exactly what you're saying? How am I going to break it to them? And it always, it's, it's always the same shift. It's like, whatever is healing for me is healing for them. And when you realize that over and over again in different ways, it's just so powerful. It is. And I find that that's the bridge that I think gets therapists started is that if the, if they want a reason to really move through that, it's at first it can be about the client. Just know that you move through it, you're moving them further, even if you were never to mention a word. You know, just what we access in our psyches when we're together shifts. You know? Exactly. We learn something and then suddenly it's coming up in session continually and it feels like we're not even bringing it up. Well, that's because it's like, it's in the, it's in the reality, the frequency, the the psyche at that moment. So if therapists need a reason, if you can't do it for yourself right now, you know, then there's a reason it will move your work with clients further, faster. And then it, it reminds me almost of working with someone in a more of a codependent relationship. At first, knowing we do things, I can think of so many people I've worked with as clients, not therapists at this point thinking about why are we doing it well doing the hard thing will be beneficial for others but eventually it shifts eventually it becomes just about oh I just can love myself and be free at least that's my experience what do you think a hundred percent yeah I mean I'm just yeah not along to everything you're saying (laughs) and even if you need to take the first step of okay let me do that for them but it will keep showing up it's not even something you have to actively force yourself to go against because that pattern will just emerge and emerge and emerge and why do you think that is because wherever we are stuck with ourselves I think relationally that keeps that's where people get stuck relationally Mm. you know that relationship dynamic will show up no matter what so whatever's showing up in our personal lives wherever we are if I'm stuck at self-compassion with somebody else in my personal life that will elicit some kind of relational dynamic in my personal life and that same pattern will manifest in some way or another in the therapeutic environment it's bound to happen and these ther- these relational shifts are what shifts all of us right mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it makes me think about when I'm training interns, they've come from this, you know, I find that grad school gives multiple mixed messages generally. Mm-hmm. And one of them is around um, counter-transference. 
Because I think that that's part of the mechanism of how this happens, how this gift that we unwrap that comes from others and the gift that we give others, this dynamic that you're talking about. And I know when they come, they're like, oh, but I shouldn't be in the countertransference. And it's like, it's impossible. The dynamics are a language. They're just going to give you, they're like empathy. It's more than words. It's like looking at a picture versus someone trying to describe a picture. You get so much information by the dynamics. But when we just play them out, it's not as effective as, I mean, we do it. But if we can stand back and realize it's happening, that's when we get the full message for us, for our clients. So I've found that that's been a shift is knowing that these difficult dynamics that reflect our stuff with clients, their stuff, mm-hmm. their, their bigger family, they bring in and project mm-hmm. with us. That's all such a gift to unwrap. It's, exactly. It's just that it, it's, it's this information. <laughs> just information. It's just information. And if we can just lean into that with curiosity, and I think you're right, this like tra- transference, counter-transference, they've almost had this tint to it because of our industry conditioning. Like, oh yeah, yeah, that might show in, up in the room. Make sure you're aware of it and put it on the side somewhere and don't mm-hmm. let it get in the way. And it's, no, use it. Use it become aware of it and then use it as the tool that it is mm-hmm. the, the unwrapped gift yeah right yeah. right because when it's there and we we put all our energy into hiding it or keeping it at bay our energy goes to waste you know we can use all that energy to be transparent and really connect in authenticity i love that i, I haven't thought about it that way i call it breaking the fourth wall which is mm-hmm. like sharing obviously sharing of of myself Mm -hmm. but my moment to moment experience but yeah that liberates so much energy allowing the client in to know because I don't know about you I'm sure most therapists listening the amount of empathy like the empathic transfer of energy and the more you do this the more you get so much information like it just keeps for me it just I become more and more astutely aware of that I'm holding a language that the client may not have access to in this moment it's theirs but by Mm -hmm. sharing it they get insight they're like oh yeah that I think that feeling you're feeling is mine it's like yeah right Mm -hmm. yeah that attunement is just so beautiful right Mm -hmm. and what you're speaking to again is like when you can attune to yourself in that way, they can pick up on that energy. They're able to do it to themselves. And then there's this relational attunement that kind of flourishes and blooms out. And so that energy's there, right? <laughs> it's just where are we putting it? If we're putting it to keep stuff at bay or to make sure that we don't dis- disclose too much or, or we don't get rejected, if we're putting it in all those other places, that's what's burning us out. That's what's blocking us from our clients. So can we tap into it? Can we utilize it? And there's an aliveness. As I'm hearing you say that, it's just dropping in for me. There's such an aliveness in not suppressing all those things, not compartmentalizing them, not pushing them all over the place. There is so much liberated energy and I'd never really thought about it that way. Right. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Because it's there. (laughs) Yeah. And a lot of people think of this as like, oh, are you putting your stuff on the clients or are you using that as therapy? And, the, you know, there's so many misconceptions around that. And I think 
there's such a difference between being transparent and then, you know, for the sake of this is already in the room, that feeling, that energy, whatever it is, even if you I had a bad day today, that's already kind of when it, that's already in the room. Let's be transparent about it. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah. It's going to be there in the dynamics. It's impossible mm-hmm. not to be. I remember I had, uh, speaking of the alternative, of what you're talking about, the rare instance where a therapist overshare or make it about them. Right, right. Yeah, that, that feels so rare. I mean, I had an experience of that as a teenager, which was wonderful because I could manipulate it as a teenager. I didn't <laughs> want to do therapy. I just knew if I asked the right <laughs> questions to this person, they would tell me all about their family. And it would just burn through I my love head. it. I love it. <laughs> But what that person in my in my humble opinion now, I, lo- I love her. Uh-huh. I'm sure she's out there somewhere. She just didn't have a lot of awareness of self, actually. Yeah. And so she didn't notice that I was, you know, 17 and manipulating her because she really did want to share, but not mm. in the way you're describing. But I think that that is so the rarity, what I just described. It is so the rarity. And actually, it was a time where I think she was in the in the dynamics with me but didn't realize so mm. but it this knowledge this awareness of self yeah yes so, so how can we tell the difference though because I think that is an important question right of like when are you oversharing for you and be, and when are you doing it because it's already in the room and it's it's not sharing and not being transparent is actually blocking the session you know mm-hmm. I think that's where people get stuck I know I can answer that, but I I think that I'd love to hear what comes up for you. Um, Yeah, it is a a good question. And I think it is what blocks people from being more guarded. For me, I I think it is being able to tune into what's what's going on with you and really coming from a place of center, coming from a place of curiosity and slowness and understanding where it where that disclosure is coming from, you know, because if you're attuned, if you're attuned to what your client needs, and then you're attuned to yourself in that same moment, you can feel what's in that room. And if all you're feeling is you and you're kind of dysregulated and you're not attuned at all to what's happening with that person in in that moment, you're more and more likely to kind of overshare for you because it's kind of bubbling all over the place. Yeah, I think you're probably, all of us would be more likely to do one or the other extreme, overshare or lock things down to protect from that we know we're really dysregulated. And the beauty I found in this work is is that when we lock it down and we don't don't notice it or bring it in therapeutically, that that, is it often in the counter-transference, it's not even ours. It's just we're really overwhelmed. Exactly. But it might lead us to a place in us that, yeah, where we start to do whatever we do to compensate, which is maybe overshare, maybe mm-hmm. take control of things, whatever. Yeah, yeah, I would have given the same answer in different words, which is this self-awareness, is that the pattern that would make us overshare is is that ego place in us. And it would it would pop up in this energetic or sensory or emotional way that it would be a bit of a takeover would be the way I yes. would describe it. Yeah. 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 I, I, I completely agree. And I like that you're speaking to that both ends happen. Right. And usually dependent on our attachment style, we either like oversharing, talking too much, overeducating or freezing or shoving it down. Mm. Mm-hmm. 
and you lose attunement. Yeah. And I'd say in my career, I've been there. I've reflected back and been like, yeah, that was definitely what happened there. But it's still so fruitful to reflect on later if we can get out of shame and blame and Mm. go like, I screwed that up. Also, what I found is in those moments, I've had times where I've gone, wow, what did I just do there? And then I've reflected on it. As soon as I can take the shame and blame away, I realize there was still a gift because there was a dynamic happening that if I zoom out, I start to understand. Yes. Yeah, I love that. I love and shame, you know, the lifting of shame frees up so much over and over and over again. Mm. And you're right. We've all done that. We've all, you know, and it's the, the beauties in the repair, you know, and I'm working with couples. That's so important to recognize that you're, you're, you're never going to not have conflict, but can you repair? It's beautiful. Yeah. It's And, on uh, and if we can repair what, what's happening with us therapeutically in that room, we're modeling for the couples. Hey, it's the same thing. Absolutely. And I think it goes back to all the levels of repair, because when we notice we've done something, I'm using air quotes wrong, or where we Mm -hmm. felt like we got taken over by parts of ourselves or something happened, then if we go to shame and blame, it's normal. I mean, we've been deeply conditioned that there's a wrong and a right way to do this. And that we're, you know, liable and bad and oh my goodness, (laughs) go on. If you whittle it right to the end, it's like, Even though we've been told we're not responsible for people, we've also been told if someone dies under our care, that somehow that's our responsibility. So it's this, mm-hmm. it's this quagmire. Yes. Yeah. I think when we remove the shame and blame, where we notice something happened out of attunement, out of awareness, mm-hmm. some mm-hmm. dynamic came in and sort of took over, whether it's our personal or our relational, I would say it's probably always both. But mm-hmm. when we remove the shame and blame that we did something quote unquote wrong, Mm-hmm. then we start to repair with ourselves oh I love that yeah. I love that yeah you're saying hey once that that misstep happens what's my go-to can I can I just shame and blame can I take that off and now my curiosity just rises up what what happened here yeah. and there's so much opportunity in that yeah that self-compassion yeah. comes up exactly and then we know oh we get then the picture opens up I mean, shame and blame will do exactly what we do in the room when we block being authentic. Shame and blame mm-hmm. ourselves will block all the learning. And it's okay. Mm-hmm. A lot of us are there. At yeah. Yeah. And I love, yeah, that important message of that's okay too. Yeah. It, we've yeah. been deeply conditioned. We've been mm-hmm. given like, I, I see like a backpack full of rocks and it takes <laughs> time to notice that you accepted the backpack, that you're wearing the backpack, that you're slogging around with this backpack. And it's like, mm-hmm. I feel like I can see my grad school professors, like each rock they put in there. Loving <laughs> right? it. Like, well, meaningly, they really thought I should live right. in fear of liability. You know, that's yes. a good rock in there. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. But- it's been going on for, for a while. There's so many deeply ingrained. And I still I still hit them, you know all the time because it's so deeply conditioned for us mm-hmm. oh yeah I realize when I put it back on when I'm taking it off what's in there but that's this what you're talking about this self of the therapist this awareness of like who is even where did that even come from whose words are those yeah yes yes is this coming from me is this coming from something that happened between us mm-hmm. am I picking up on something that's 
my clients doing and it's feeling like it's coming from me I mean this is so the key and it's fascinating to me it's always fascinating to me as I talk to people and I think I don't know you but I like I knew when I extended this offer I was like "Mm, I know this is the right thing to do and I'm thinking about when I train interns I've never thought about it at this language but this is where I start it's like I get I ask them to watch a whole bunch of videos in my sessions not necessarily to do what I do I really Mm -hmm. think they need to become who they are of course in the therapy room but it's mm-hmm. like I have a quadrant thing I make and it's like looking for the transference, counter-transference, dynamics, what's mm-hmm. coming up in you to start because that's not really taught at grad school. I mean, you know, they talk about it, but the actual right. experience of learning to listen into yourself listening, this self as you're in the moment, when you've just come from a place where they teach you techniques maybe or they want you to be like, right. are you following them? You know, we fall back right. on this manualized way of being. So it's just crystallizing for me that I ha- wouldn't have thought about it that way. But as I'm saying it to you, does that fit within your definition of the self? A hundred percent. Yeah. Like what is happening with you? And you're, you're right. You can do all the techniques. That's why, you know, in the type of therapy that we do, we're always taping the sessions. We're always watching people do the session because there, there's no amount of me just, teaching a technique or doing that, that's going to translate because somebody can do everything exactly right. And you can watch a session and be like, that didn't click for some reason. What happened to you there? You know, (laughs) I saw your shoulders kind of rise up. I saw you, the way you said that felt a little different. What what came up in you here? Yeah. Um, That is exactly why I'm asking them to watch it. And they'll come to me after and be like, oh, I loved what you were doing here and there. And I'm like, that's fantastic. Maybe you'd want to get trained in that. And did you notice anywhere in the session where like there was a misattunement or my show, you know, these kind of things. And they're like, no, I'm like, okay, so just keep looking for those things. And it's interesting because the power hierarchy comes up there. It's like, I don't ask them to share that with me. I'm like, if I totally miss something, notice Mm -hmm. that. You don't have to even tell me about it if you don't want, Mm -hmm. because I see that they're a little bit afraid because I am the quote unquote supervisor. Right. And it's like, yeah, but I'm going to miss things too. And you can learn from the the energy of it. And it just made me think about those rocks in the bag. It takes a little bit of time for them to yeah. really trust that I'm like, no, seriously, if I totally missed something, just, yeah. you don't even have to tell me, but notice what happens in you. So it's fascinating. Wow. I, I love that. So that's the way you kind of start off and kind of start already shifting that paradigmic. Yeah. Is here. I, Let me yeah. humanize myself from the jump. Because that's it's a, oh no, go ahead. No, no, I've said I that's that's a great technique to do that. I love that. Well, and it sounds like that's kind of what you're doing with the videos you're talking about, where people are watching them back. If they can have the courage to say out loud in front of the person, mm-hmm. hey, I noticed something happened there. Right. Yeah, for sure. And the way I start off actually is even before hey, I noticed this, or you were misattuned, let's talk about where you were stuck. I just watch people's sessions completely, put my notepad away, (laughs) and get into their essence of their style and their rhythm and who they are. Um, And all I'm doing in the beginning is reflecting back their strengths and reflecting back kind of, wow, I love this about your style. I love the way you 
greatly how you did this. We're not even talking about where they might be stuck or misattuned. And then getting a hold of that and getting a hold of somebody's essence and strengthening that and stretching that out, that automatically starts healing all the other parts where they're stuck. You yeah. know, that, that it gives them that bravery to do that. And I'm doing the same thing in session with couples too, right? I mean, because I don't see myself as healing anybody. I see myself as just kind of this mirror that's noticing all these wonderful things about people that they tend to overlook when they're stuck on the the broken parts and those are going to heal them. So. Yeah. I mean, we we're self-oriented towards healing. Mm -hmm. The only thing I see our business is to help people move the blocks. Then the healing happens on its own. Like that's it really does. It happens at the cellular level. It happens. Like we can look to everything on this planet as it wants to heal itself. Our psyche is no different than anything else we are one with everything that we're nature so the psyche just seems to have complicated blocks and to me it's this conditioning process we we seem to want to come full circle in life back to how we were when we were little yes i, I, I just got goosebumps because it's actually to me the conditioning process is the only problem we know that children will heal. They'll play something out, and and then they're like, oh, "That that heals." It's the complex. <laughs> it's the it's the where there's conditioning, and I've seen this with clients that that they just want to go back to where the curiosity and the open arms of attachment and love and seeing things through a child's mind and eyes that tends to be where people want to go back to. Just. Yeah. That, and it's already there. It's already within you. You don't, we don't, we're not recreating you. Yeah. That is a thing that I think sounds magical about what you're talking about. Like wonderful is what I mean by magical. It's, I love hearing this because to stand outside of the broken diagnosed, whatever systems, mm -hmm. the, the big rocks in the backpack that to me don't really help people. It's beautiful to hear what you're saying. Yeah, for sure. And I, and I love you saying, you know what, the conditioning is pretty much the only problem. Because <laughs> we're just coming back to our core. Our core is there. Yeah. Yeah. I can't help but think about animal models. Like I'm sitting here with my big fluffy cat. He's usually here with me. He'll sit down right as I'm about to start recording. But I think about how the only animals that get post-traumatic stress symptoms of any kind are those conditioned by humans in the mm. wild. They don't get that. They do not. They fight, flight, and freeze as they need to so that they discharge the energy and they don't, they're not anxious, depressed, having post-traumatic symptoms. Wow. Only our animals. And the reason they postulate, well, like, why would this be happening? It's because we tell them to inhibit those instincts. Yeah. Don't run away. Don't do these different things. And if you think about that's really sadly, from my experience, what's happened to us from a young age inhibit those instincts that don't listen that don't you know lie yes. when we're little that's such an interesting fact yeah I didn't know that yes it's already in our our healing is in us yes. it's we are when we're talked out of it and when we're with other people you know and that connection missing that connection just like there's so much more PTSD here 
Whereas when there's these war-torn countries and these third world countries are, you know, going through such traumatic instances, but they have much lower levels of PTSD because they have community, they have connection. Yeah, exactly. And they collectively are finding ways to discharge this energy together. Mm -hmm. the, the community itself brings us back into the conditions of where we could discharge anything we're holding. That's why the relationship works, in my opinion is we come back into the conditions. That's what the counter-transference is. That's what the support is. It just activates in us the block again. And that's it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I'm wondering now if you can tell us, because we've been talking about authenticity, being mm -hmm. you know transparent. So go wherever you want to go with this. But can you tell us about a time in your life where you felt like, it's kind of two sides of a coin. You really held yourself back and then a time where you really went after something, took a risk, were vulnerable. Well, I did think about this, you know, since I had known this question before. And when you said, hey, when have you blocked or when have you not taken a risk? And one thing didn't come to mind, but it it's a whole slew of things <laughs> because I think that's how, that's where I lived for the majority of my life. Like I was very timid, just wanted to blend in. You know, I had I had selective mutism as a child, like did not speak very just, you know, lived in a very chaotic kind of home. And everything was about everybody else. Everything was just about understanding everybody, being whatever anybody needed me to be. That kind of led me to be a therapist and never rock the boat, never stand out, never take any risks never mm -hmm. risk getting rejected. So that that was that's where I lived. And that served me well even as a therapist because it was my full identity. <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. So me not being myself or authentic, I didn't even have access to it. Um and that worked for a while. But a, about a few years ago, like 5 years ago, I think I had a really major shift. I had an injury. I I lost my eye, lost my left eye. I had a um, horrible infection and things really shifted for me there because I could no longer kind of blend in I had about like half a year where I didn't have half my face <laughs> so I I had to I had to really kind of make a decision where I cannot pretend like my suffering or me doesn't exist anymore my battle wounds are on my face <laughs> So it, it really drastically shifted how I started showing up. You know, at first I kind of hid and I got isolated. Like, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to walk around in the world and let people actually see me. And then there was something that happened where I just really started owning it and getting comfortable with it. And like we talked about, lifted the shame off my injury because that, that wasn't my shame to carry. <laughs> Yet I was carrying it for some reason. And I lifted it up and, you know, I cut off all my hair, dyed it like bright purple <laughs> and just walked into the world as I was. Mm -hmm. And it was it was fabulous. I found I could connect with people even better. You know, I thought it would be like, oh, people are going to see this. People are going to see my suffering and everything that I'm carrying with me. And it'll start being too much about me and I'll be too much for them. But what I realized is when I could own it and just hold it and, and be at peace with myself, I could connect with people 
and I could be authentic, they could be authentic. And it, it was just, it was a wonderful shift. And since then, I've kind of just changed. I've like, I, I lean into fear. I don't like, I don't say no to things anymore. Something like this, doing this podcast, I would never have done. <laughs> so I just, I see fear. I see rejection. It's like, okay, that's, that's where I got to run. Mm. Wow. You said so much there. And I'm just like, I'm honored that you're sharing and that I'm just here witnessing. So I want to start with that. And yeah, the, the realness, the commonality of suffering, that is that is being a human being. We're going to face that. So when we really show that, it is so liberating and it draws people in. It'll draw people to us. People listening to what you're saying right now feel closer to you, I would imagine. You are not in the room with them. You could be on the other side of the world, but just you sharing. I mean, I feel closer to you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. It's like hearing me out. Yeah. And what you described of the personality that you had developed to protect yourself, to stay safe as a child. And then that is so often where healers and helpers and helping professionals come from on some level. This learning of your needs are not important. Other people's needs are important. And when you look after them, you feel safer, you feel praised, mm. people like that. And so when I talk about therapist conditioning and those rocks in the bag, it predates that. There's already a wagon being toted around. Yeah. There's reasons why we come into this profession, right? And it's yeah. a lot of caretaking is our identity. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I certainly use my empathic gifts because I would say I'm a, definitely an empath and was born that way to survive as a child for sure. Mm -hmm. And it was about how to then not use that ability to read everything going on in people. You know, mm -hmm. at times I hear people's thoughts I, and I like they say them after I'm like, yeah, I heard that you're shaking your head. Yeah, that transfer of energy and frequency of, of brain waves mm -hmm. can be so, so much information and that was for me a shift to learn not to have ruinous empathy which is just to take responsibility for everything yes yeah right and I, I'm 100% resonating with what you're saying you know being an empath and being able to pick up and and I don't think my shift has come from not being able to turn that off but tapping into it again like you're saying with my, my self of therapist work has been a lot of that because it's not about the fact of how I'm picking up on everybody's feelings. It's what do I do with it? How do I overcompensate? How am I adjusting? How am I trying to now rescue them from the feeling that they haven't even expressed yet? Mm -hmm. You know, and so for me to slow down and realize, hey, that's that could be a superpower if I don't suck it in and adjust and overfunction when my little superpower comes up of empathy. I can really say, hey, hold on a second. I'm picking up on something here. Yeah. Well, can I be curious about that again? Mm -hmm. You're saying you're sad, but I'm picking up on something a lot deeper than that. Is there something else going on? Um, yes. Yep. That is the shift. And it's that it is always a gift. It's just used differently. So I hear that. Oh, beautiful. Hmm. And so I wonder then, 
What does mental health revolution mean to you? Uh, what it means to me is a lot of what we were already talking about today, but it's taking away this thought of that we are on these two sides of the aisle of like the wounded and the healers. You know, we, we're, we're in this together. You know, we are these wounded healers who are doing this together with our clients and to really get rid of this impression that we have it all together and we've magically done all our work. And now we're at this like higher level of functioning and we're trying to bring you there. And that that's just not the truth that we're, we're really, we're all suffering together and we're all doing this together. And we're actually gaslighting our clients by acting like we've got it all together. And if they just do as much work as we have, then they'll, they'll get to where we are. And it's, it's a journey. I love how you just framed that. It's confrontational, but like, like you said earlier, I love running towards like for something uncomfortable. I'm like, Ooh, that's a place to explore. So it was like, Oh yeah. That word gaslighting. It was almost like I felt that in a collective way for me. I'm like, Oh yeah. But I felt like it felt like it affronted someone, which is probably just a fantasy of mine. Honestly, I don't know if it's affronting anyone, but it was like, Ooh, I like how, how it's hmm, a word just that stops me in my tracks the hearing the like mm. the gaslighting because this journey of doing this launch and doing what I'm doing has been such a journey in this not over functioning because with a launch the, it's like the energy of a launch in our culture is like you could really over function like it's just yeah. like a, it's a buffet. Do you want to overfunction? Yeah, you can do it. <laughs> just to pick something off the buffet. It's all overfunctioning. So I've chosen like don't do that. Just be aware. But I remember mm. I did a video one day after a massage, and I was all puffy, and I was no makeup, and I was just like, and I went and I did a video, and something changed for me in this department. It was like going and doing that was so painful to some part of my ego was so painful mm. to this conditioned aspect of me that believed I need to have my shit together or at least look like I did mm. and this was like nope I looked I looked <laughs> like I felt actually I wasn't in a great place and it was so liberating it's it changed something for me so wow. I realized that some of what you just said might have been true I have seen that people do project um in my whole life that I've got all my stuff together and so yes. it's obviously partly coming from me so I love that we gaslight our clients by projecting that sort of impenetrable perfect image mm -hmm. mm. right especially I mean so much of all of our suffering right now is happening because of how broken the world is right now mm -hmm. So to act as if it's not getting to us, <laughs> it's just not true. Yeah. Yeah. The, and the antidote, as I'm hearing it from the work you're talking about, is about this commonality, is about genuinely saying, it's okay that you're not okay, I'm not okay. And like, right. we don't have to attack one another because of that, be better than, be worse than. The world needs a lot more unity. Yes. Experience. Does that fit what you're saying? A hundred percent. Yeah. The healing is going to come from the connection. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it's not an accident that we really, you know, all these sayings we have, it takes a village to raise a child and and all the ways we look at our ancestors live together. Even for me, I'm from Toronto, big city, lots of people from all over the world. And we really had a pretty intergenerational home, I would say. Like I did live with my parents, but I spent so much time at my grandma's and everyone did. Mm. It was like that intergenerational piece that I'm so grateful that I had that as a cultural norm. But the more I move away from my childhood home, it's more and more sterile seemingly and removed from community mm. and collectivism uh, where I live anyway, in my culture. Yeah. Mm. So how do, how do you see that impacting you? Like the more you're moving away from home and that generational, how are, how is that showing up for you personally? Well, I would say it has up until recently reinforced this like projection of, well, I have to look like I have it together at times you know even though I've been very aware of like oh I like to project it I learned as a child to look invulnerable like that was a safety mechanism Mm -hmm. so but then I've come into more communities where it's like little silos there's a lot of individuality a lot of space between everyone and on some level I love living outside of a city it feels really really good to my nervous system I love Mm -hmm. nature and but there's this siloed thing. And so I'm just becoming more aware of it. And I, my, my response has been to try to put myself out there more Mm. to genuinely do what we're talking about. The, you know, the antidote, if you want to use that is always about connection. I love meeting people. And so I do that. Like, and I just meet random people and just that has been my way of trying to go back to that connection. And, you know, as I say that, though, I think about my childhood and there was a collectivism, but all around me was still a silo because I grew up in a Hasidic Orthodox Jewish neighborhood and we weren't Orthodox. So actually, mm-hmm. we were not acknowledged by the Orthodox people. They wouldn't look to you or talk to you. So mm-hmm. it's just coming up for me now that perhaps that's also where this stems from. So we're doing oh. it. <laughs> a live action. Like a little like that being uh, I don't know if if Mobile, Alabama, compared to New York City, has anything like that for you. That's that's a really great awareness on your part, though. Like, hey, yeah, because they're those little things that we grow up with that we don't have awareness of, right? Because it's just such a norm, but it creates this little feeling in us of like, yeah, Mm -hmm. there's this silo here. Um, And I grew up in Brooklyn, so when I had in the Hasidic Jewish yeah. area so almost have very similar okay. yeah you, you have that feeling of that no there's you feel different or you feel yeah isolated absolutely so I can totally get that I just had a, like a little kid in me pop up and go well the answer is not only connect but as a kid I was very curious about the people who didn't want to acknowledge me and I think mm-hmm. that that's actually you know, that's such a beautiful part of what it is to reclaim our true nature, in my experience, is curiosity. And so mm-hmm. that's coming up for me now as a resource for how to deal with or how to be with people who maybe aren't as open to like me, me and my like arms open way that I love to walk in the world like, hi, okay, no, you don't want to smile at me. That's cool. That's cool. I'm going <laughs> to be curious about that. And then I'm going to go to the next person they're probably up for is that what you did as as a little girl oh that is totally what I did it did it did dissuade me 
from mm. being like gregarious and out, outgoing and you know if it, it didn't for some reason I didn't feel as rejected as a little kid it was like well, okay cool cool not probably not about me but I'll just ask the next person I'll just like their skirt I'll just say hi to this person I see it in my daughter as well this was this is how she has always been yeah I love that and that's really just speaking to you coming back full circle right it's like when I feel that silo or that isolation your go-to is going back to that little girl who says oh I love your skirt I love let me go connect let me reach out more yeah when the conditioning kind of keeps you into that failure of like oh wait am I not good enough am I that's what would get in your way as you got older and I see that what I'm doing in this moment maybe what we're doing in this moment is putting this out to a whole bunch of people that we may not ever meet in reality for me there's a draw and obviously you're sitting here and you're doing this so you said yes so there's a draw (laughs) to reach people to connect with people in in whatever way a hundred percent yeah and just be real and it is scary to just be real and be authentic but there's no other no other option for me anymore there's no turning back mic drop yeah (laughs) this is aliveness for me being real is the way to feel alive yeah it's a life fully lived so as we're coming to a close what would you like the audience to know that's a great question I I think that I guess this this work is just ongoing there's just no there's never a place where you just reach it you know like this journey within you and this journey that you're doing with your clients. And um, the more authentic you can be and that growth that you're having together as a function with them is just so powerful. So I think just not the regrets of what you're going to hold down are going to be so much bigger than Mm. anything that you can make a mistake on because you can always repair (laughs) you know we got to get it right one third of the time in any kind of relationship and that's relationships with our kids with our partners with our patients so just take those risks and when you can repair beautiful things can come out of that yeah deeper things closer more more connection yeah comes from the repair beautiful And so in the show notes, we will make sure that we include any way people can find you and the work you're doing. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you. Wonderful talking to you. You too. Thanks for listening to Therapist Expanded. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast to help more of our colleagues join the revolution.